Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Wednesday, September 21st, we're studying Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 to 14. Moses begins the longest chapter in Deuteronomy by describing the blessings the people of Israel will receive if they faithfully obey the voice of the Lord their God. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us Pastor Jeffrey Reese. Pastor Reese serves at Zion Evangelical Lutheran Church in Tacoma, Washington. Pastor Reese, welcome back to Sharper Iron. It's great to be here again. It's been a while. I understand I know. I understand you. You were here with my predecessor, Pastor Fisk, and now it's a mm-hmm. joy for me to get to talk to you as well. So yeah. glad to have you. Get to look at Deuteronomy twenty-eight verses one to fourteen, which is a rather happy section of the book of Deuteronomy. Lots of a promise here. Mm-hmm. As we get started on that chapter, give us some context. What should we know about Deuteronomy? What Moses has been doing uh, leading up to this section? Well, probably uh, your previous guests have talked a lot about this, but uh, Deuteronomy, everybody knows, I think, is the last book in the Torah, and um, this is basically, they're, they're on the plains of Moab and they're getting ready to go into the promised land this time for real because the first time didn't work out so well um, because they failed, of course, to trust God. And so God said, all right, you guys are going to march through the desert for a while longer. Um, but uh, Moses, it's, it's kind of funny because you would think all, if you, if you read through Deuteronomy, you've heard it, you've read it all before. If you read the rest of Torah and and here it all is again, and and a good, probably the majority of Deuteronomy is Moses recounting to the people things they've already done, things they've already experienced, and things they've already heard. Um, by the the point of Deuteronomy, we're getting to now is is where it's it's more new stuff, but but everything leading up to to about here has has been Moses retelling everything to the people, and these are people who have heard all of this. They've experienced all this. They know what he's talking about. So why is Moses going over this again? Well, look at the track record of the people of Israel. I mean, they were barely out of, they were barely out of the Exodus and they were already whining and complaining uh, as if God was holding out on them, as if God was not going to provide for them after that dramatic rescue. Um, and, and this has been the cycle that they've been going through. So now before they go into the promised land, uh, for real, they're going over everything one more time so that they can remember who is God and who they are to God. Um, so, well, you you mentioned now that we're we're in a part where Moses is going to speak newer things. Mm-hmm. That long middle section of Deuteronomy, chapters five through twenty-six, one long sermon from mm-hmm. Moses. He starts with the Ten Commandments, and he goes through a variety of ways that they can be applied in life in the Promised Land. Mm-hmm. We, we noted in chapter 27, you get a, a new sermon, essentially. And as you said, we're, we're really in new material here, mm-hmm. although maybe not entirely. Some of this shouldn't be unexpected. Sure. 
what what is this new material? What's what's the move that Moses has made that he's continuing here in chapter twenty eight? Well, now we're getting to like this chapter is all about the blessings and the curses, and I'm I'm blessed to get to do the blessings. And like <laughs> I told you before we started, um, you know, some other poor guy's going to get stuck with the curses. But uh, <laughs> um, two, two but, poor guys actually. Yeah, that's right. So that's, many curses. That's, that's right. Because there were there <laughs> yeah. were curses uh, yesterday, and there'll be curses tomorrow. But uh, I get blessings, so that's good. But Luther, you mentioned this is the longest chapter in Deuteronomy, and Luther mentioned it, uh, mentioned that, and also said it's the easiest. Um, in fact, I think that's the only Luther quote on on this chapter in uh, Lutheran Study Bible, if I remember correctly. They just because he doesn't spend a lot of time on Deuteron on Deuteronomy twenty eight. He 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 doesn't have a lot to say about it, and honestly, most of what he says about it is relates to the curses. Um, in his commentary, but he, what he mentions just generally about this is, um, that the, basically he talks about the distinction between a conscience enslaved to sin versus a clean and godly conscience. Um, and he relates the blessings and the curses to that. Um, and, and so, and, and generally what we're looking at is as they're being, as they're preparing to go into this promised land, it's really important that they understand that their blessings in the land they're going into directly relates to uh, their trust in the God who is giving this land to them. All right, that's good, and I I appreciate you bringing out that Luther quote. That was that was the reason I mentioned it being the longest chapter because mm-hmm. I I liked that quote. It's the longest but the easiest chapter. Mm-hmm. It says a heap of blessings and curses. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I, having said that, I do think that there are some some challenges, and maybe I know we'll talk about this when we look at the text specifically. But maybe by way of outset, maybe one of the the things that Lutherans I think particularly may find challenging about this chapter is it's conditional. Mm-hmm. If you faithfully obey, God will bless you in these wonderful ways. I mean, just bountiful blessings, as we will see. Mm-hmm. But I mean, what do we? That that's not generally the way that we as Lutherans think about our relationship with God, we're saved by grace. It's all gift and not conditional, but here we're dealing with conditional things. How do we, I mean, just get us started into that topic. Well, I, you know, a lot of people, a lot of Lutherans do struggle with this because we don't, we, we, we shouldn't struggle with it, but we do. And, and, and we'll kind of really come back to this, at least the way I got things planned out and the plans don't always unfold the way I plan, but, um, <laughs> But we'll come back to, to Jesus more. But if we understand that, I mean, the scripture is filled with these conditions. I mean, even Paul in Romans, if you can, you know, if you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. There is that F. And this is why you get Arminianism, because they see all those conditions and then they, they put salvation on the Christian rather than on the Christ. And what we need to understand and, and what Lutherans get if we really understand our own theology is the fact that these conditions are met in Jesus Christ. You know, we're saved, you know, Ephesians and, and Galatians, we are saved not by works, but by faith in Christ um, because Christ is the one who has fulfilled these conditions. And we're going to talk a lot about that as we go through this. All right. All right. That's a good introduction. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and take a look at this text. This is Deuteronomy 28, beginning at verse 1. Moses is continuing here. Mm -hmm. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, 
Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall you be blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your barns and in all that you undertake. And he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself, as he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity, in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your livestock, and in the fruit of your ground, within the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasury, the heavens, to give you the rain to your land in its season, and to bless all the work of your hands. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail, and you shall only go up and not down, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, being careful to do them. And if you do not turn aside from any of the words that I command you today, to the right hand or to the left, to go after other gods to serve them. That's our text. That's Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 to 14. So, Pastor Reese, get us started. What's Moses doing? Give us, take us in the first couple of verses. Well, for, first of all, just notice the framework. Uh, the first verse and the 14th verse uh, is the, the condition is there in both of those. So this, this section is framed by that, and that is something that we want to take notice of. Because when you see that kind of framework in the Old Testament or in any any of the scriptures, uh, that's something to take to, to uh, take note of, pay attention to. Um, this condition is important, um, and and of course, this is also prophetic. It's almost as if Moses knows precisely what the people are going to do, <laughs> because they are going to go after other gods uh, and serve them. Um, they right. are well, going to. He's going to. He's going to mention that later. Right. That he knows. Right. Yeah. He knows yeah. they're going to follow their track record. Right. So he's he's. There's some prophecy here, but the the great thing about this section overall is the um, it, it it it's eschatological in that it points to the end, to the final, you know, the to the resurrection, to the the thing that we're all longing for, and how you know the church has been longing for for its whole existence, um, the return of Christ and the fulfillment of all things. And, and we'll, we'll unpack that as we go along. But you see in this, uh, you see uh, provision, because it, it's all connected to the land. This is all connected to the fact that they are going to take possession of this land. And the land for them is all about provision, protection, and prosperity. And they, they enjoy all of those things if you look through all the history of Israel, they enjoy all three of those things so long as they are faithful to the God who gave that land to them. It is when they break faith with God that they lose those things. Okay, so the, the three things you mentioned connected to the land were provision, protection, and prosperity. Those sure. are the, the three things. Mm-hmm. When they when they keep the commandments, they're careful to do all of those things, then that's how God blesses them right. in the land. Right, exactly. And um, 
and the and the land of course connects us and this is you know jesus connections all over the place here you know because we have all of those things in christ they and 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 that's the the thing that israel fails to understand is they don't have those three things because of the land they have those three things because of the one who gave them the land and and so we have those things in christ um which which is to say also that we don't experience the fullness of those things in this life because we're we're still mired in in sin and we live in this fallen world but we have those things in full in christ and and we we know that we have those things when we're looking to Christ. So when we're in the divine service, when we're receiving his gifts, uh, we are receiving the fulfillment, you know, the, the, the full promise of, of those things, even as we look forward to the, the, the fullest sense of that when Christ returns. What you said earlier about that they have these three these three things, provision, protection, prosperity, not because of the land, but because of the one who gave them the land. Mm-hmm. This has been a huge point that Moses has made in multiple places in the book of Deuteronomy. I think mm-hmm. chapter 8 is the one that comes to my mind first, where he, he reminds them, you know, when you go into the land and you have all of these things, all of, all of this prosperity, don't forget where you came from and don't forget who gave them to you right that the right the prosperity of that land becomes a temptation for them mm-hmm. such that they might think oh this land produced it or or we produced it ourselves mm-hmm. rather than seeing themselves completely as the gifted ones of god the ones who have, have received from god mm-hmm. and and here you know that same perspective is needed for chapter 28 mm-hmm. lest they see these things as well of course we're going to have all these things because it's the promised land and it's a land of milk and honey mm-hmm. no it's not attached to the land so much as you said it's attached to the one who gave them the land in the first place he's the one who's going to give these blessings and it's when they see it as attached to the land that they go astray because when it's attached to the land then they start to focus on the pagan gods that are connected to the land in pagan religion yeah. It's it's only when they when they understand that it that is God that's providing all this to them and he's using the land to do it, but he is the source of all good things. Uh, that's that's when they're on the straight and narrow. But as soon as they start to look at the land as the provider, that's when they start going after the other gods. Because those other gods, pagan gods are always connected to the land uh, in, as as part of the land as opposed to the creator of it. That's right. That's right. And I, I'm glad you brought up the pagan gods, because the, the way, at least in my understanding, the way that those pagan gods worked is that if you did your part, like if you did the right thing to get the pagan god to give you what you want, that's kind of how it, it worked. Almost like a, a vending machine is the, mm-hmm. uh, an image that right. we've used before. That's, that's how that worked. But that's not the way that the true god works. He's not like a vending machine such that if you you know you put in the the right amount of money he gives you the blessing mm-hmm. or if you put in the right amount of obedience that's what the the blessing comes from i, I think it's it's probably good to just you know, make sure we remember back in chapter 27 verses 9 and 10 especially verse 9 moses reminded the people that you've become the people of the Lord your God. It starts with God's gracious gift before we ever get to this matter of obedience and blessing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um, I lost my train of thought. Um, okay. That happens to me too. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. 
No, that, that's okay. Well, we'll we're, we're talking here again about the, the obeying the voice of the Lord your God. And at least where, where I was taking the conversation was the difference between the pagan gods and the way they work versus the way that the Lord works as, as a gracious God who gives rather than just oh a, right know, thank you and i just got my i just got my train back on the track um the uh uh you you see examples of this all through uh their their journey through the wilderness because god does not wait for them to become obedient to provide for them uh you know keep in mind when the, the very first time he provides for them back in what was it exodus 16 because i mean 15 is when they're rejoicing over the exodus and then 16 is when they start to grumble <laughs> and right. and god does not wait for them uh to straighten up and fly right before he provides for them he actually provides for them despite the fact that they're grumbling uh, against That's him right. as, as if they're as if they don't trust him to provide for them yeah, that's right. That's all right. Now, now in chapter twenty-eight, though, there is this matter of the Lord says, "If you obey this this word that I've given mm-hmm. you, you will receive these blessings." Which, again, there is that condition, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it is it's a good condition, and it is a promise that God will be true to His word. And I, I think that's that's something that was going through my mind all along as we were talking about, you know, it's not because of the land. But because of the God who gave them the land, mm-hmm. well, how do how do they know who that God is? It is through His Word, right? And Moses again has attached everything to the Word of mm-hmm. God here in chapter twenty-eight. Exactly, and and honestly, it it, it really is a, a good condition because it it's um it's not so much a you have to do this to make me happy in order for me you know to yeah. feel like I'm going to provide for you, but it's if you if you are not. Uh, um, if you're not doing all that I command you, if you're not being careful to obey the my voice, if you're not listening to my voice, then you're not following after me. And if you're not following after me, it means you've gone astray and you're following after these pagan gods. And these pagan gods are going to lead you to death. They're going to lead you to bad places. Um, and so it's, a, it's, an, it's the same kind of admonition that a parent gives a child because they want to keep them safe because they love them. Not a, oh, you have to, you have to do my my bidding so that I can be happy with you and then I will reward you. It's no, if you want safety, if you want provision, if you want comfort, you need to hear my voice. If you're, if you're listening to the voice of the gods of the nations of the pagan gods, they're going to lead you into bad places and, and they're going to lead you away from my protection. Yeah, that's right. We talked a little bit about this in the text yesterday with the the 12 curses that are mm-hmm. listed, which I mean is is the opposite of what we're talking about, but there's there's the correlation that well, for example, in verse 16, cursed be anyone who dishonors his father and his mother, the people say amen. You know, that that curse is is given, but it, it I mean it makes sense that well, if you dishonor your father and your mother and you don't listen to their instruction, things are going to go poorly for you. Right. Now, you know, in, in chapter 27, there's not given the, the list of earthly consequences as there are here in chapter 28 for blessings and curses. Mm-hmm. But the, I mean, that reverse works. So if you obey and honor father and mother, good things tend to happen. That That's the way that God designed this world to work is that you honor parents, they provide for you, and you receive all the blessings that God intends for you to receive through your parents. Like, I mean, some of this is, Common sense isn't the right way, but this is the way God designed it to work. And when we follow in that way that he designed it to work, I mean, it, it makes sense that it's going to go well and that there will be blessings abounding. Right. We, we, we experience consequences much of the time for disobeying God's law because we run afoul of the law in a way that 
that brings us harm, uh, not because God pushed the smite button on the keyboard, you know, uh, to borrow from a Gary Larson cartoon from many years ago. Um, but, uh, yeah, but getting, going back to the, um, to the blessing again, the, the fact that we will be, uh, blessed, I think that is at verse, verse two, um, you know, all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord, your God. Um, the, the thing to think about here, because sometimes when we think about blessings, and this is really common in the prosperity gospel circles in Christianity throughout the world, um, that the blessings being talked about in the Bible, they, they tend to over... Now, there, of course, there are earthly blessings that God gives us, but the blessings are really always ultimately pointing to in the scriptures are those eschatological, those forever eternal blessings, the blessings that are connected with God's eternal kingdom and our citizenship, our place in it. Um, And we can see some connections with this when we look at uh, what Paul has to say in Galatians 3.29 when he says, he, he references that if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. And he is drawing a connection all the way back to Genesis 12 when God first calls Abram. And he says in uh, verse 3, you know, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The, the blessing that the Lord is talking about is the blessing that connects us to Christ, that connects us to his eternal kingdom. Uh, So these blessings that Israel is receiving are not just temporal blessings that are theirs because they're living on this particular land, but they are eternal blessings that are theirs because they belong to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So again, we have the the blessings here pointing forward to something beyond all of the the good things that, that are described. At the same time, when you look at the Old Testament, and I, I suppose you, know, you see it much more with the curses, because the, the pattern of Israel's behavior generally tends toward unfaithfulness rather than faithfulness. Mm-hmm. But there are, I mean, there are plenty of examples where the Lord does provide these blessings for his people. I mean, there's a reason it's called the land of milk and honey. Mm-hmm. And, and despite the fact that, yes, there is a lot of unfaithfulness, there is plenty of faithfulness, and he does give them these sure. things, but it's when they... They start to take comfort in the things themselves. And as we've been saying, forget about the God who gave them these things and the promise that he's busy fulfilling, Genesis 12, even all the way back to Genesis 3, the promise of the the coming Messiah. When they forget about where God is headed with all all these things, that's when they start to tend toward idolatry and, and these very blessings can become idols that they put their trust in rather than putting their trust in the one who gave them. Right, exactly. So let's keep keep working our way through the text. You sure. talked about verse two: mm-hmm. the blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. That's that's pretty strong language. That the blessings are actually going to you're not going to be able to escape the blessings. There's so so much. Right. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. No. And and uh, and and then he lists these, and we have uh, the word blessing used uh, six different times between verse three and verse six. Which also, whenever you see that kind of re- repetitive. Uh, in the Hebrew, it, 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 again, it, it's emphasizing something great, uh, something really important. And of course, the, the curses are emphasized in the same manner. There's going to be six uses of, of the word cursed 
uh, in the second half of the chapter, as I, I in, in, in uh, chapter 27, I can't remember how many times the word cursed is used, but same kind of thing. When you see that repetitive nature, it's like, okay, pay attention. This is really important. Um, but you're going to be blessed in every possible way is, is what's going on here. So you get in verse three, blessed in the city, blessed in the field. Well, these are the two basic spheres in which life occurs. Um, you're, you're, uh, you're in the city. What does the city give you? The city gives you protection. Uh, the city presumably is well supplied, uh, and then, of course, in the field, well, that's the source of a lot of your provision, especially your food provision. Um, and so there's, uh, there, there's that provision that we were talking about, but also that protection. Um, and and verse 4, similar. Um, Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle. Uh, so you have provision and prosperity both there, essentially the fruit of your womb, that your, your children, uh, so your family is going to grow, um, the fruit of your ground, your crops are going to grow, the fruit of your cattle, your, your cattle, your livestock are going to increase. Um, this, there's, a, there's a richness uh, to this blessing. Uh, you're, you're not going to be in need of anything, in other words. And then it continues in verse 5, Blessed shall be your basket, the thing in which you keep your, your provision, your food, and your kneading bowl. And uh, the kneading bowl uh, is referenced as far back as uh, Exodus 12, when they're getting ready for the Passover. Um, the Or at the Passover, the people took their dough. Uh, I'm just reading 1234. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. So the kneading bowl is obviously something that was very light. Um, my understanding from... Uh, what we know from archaeology and history is these kneading bowls are typically either made of wood or of copper. They were large enough so that you could knead your loaf in it, but they were small enough that they could easily be carried. And you carried them with you everywhere you went when you traveled because they were going to be what you were going to use when you needed to bake bread wherever you were. So give us that last, before we go to our break here, give us that last one in verse six, the blessed when you come in and go out. That yeah, blessed second. shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. Um, the Your fulfillment of your vocations, your your daily responsibilities, all, all your undertakings. Anytime you see that coming out and going, or coming in and going out language in scripture, it's basically just talking about your full daily existence, your full daily activity. So in absolutely everything, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, mm -hmm. in the in your house, in your field, the Lord is going to bless you. The blessings are going to overtake you. That's the picture Moses is giving the people here mm -hmm. in Deuteronomy chapter 28. But we're going to take our break and pick up the rest of the text on the other side. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're looking at Deuteronomy 28 with Pastor Jeffrey Rees. We'll be right back. Please stick around.
Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, September 21st. We are studying Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 to 14, with Pastor Jeffrey Reese. He serves at Zion Evangelical Lutheran Church in Tacoma, Washington. Pastor Reese, prior to the break, we looked at the first six verses of the text, and we were seeing there in verses 3 through 6, especially that repetition of the word blessed. And it's, it's blessed everywhere in every single way. Maybe this is probably not strong enough, but something like blessed from A to Z is the idea of those verses from one extreme to the next that's where you're going to have god's blessing that's how much blessing you're going to have it's it's just overwhelming in this text and it well go ahead no i was gonna say there is no sense in which you will not be blessed that's right that's right Mm -hmm. yeah it absolutely any scenario you find yourself you will be blessed those blessings keep overflowing this is language, although it changes a little bit in terms of the way it describes it, we've still got that same idea that runs throughout the rest of the text. Take us in now to to verse 7. Well, I was talking about the provision, protection, and prosperity, and here we really get, revisit the more details of the protection. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated, in verse 7, defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. So they're going to come out against you very organized and very focused, but they're going to flee from you in complete chaos and disarray. And we've already seen that. If you go back to uh, to Exodus 14, yeah. when the Egyptians come in, to the Red Sea after the Israelites, they are very organized, they're very focused, those chariots are bearing down on them. But by the time they hit, you know, inside the, you know, the boundary of the Red Sea where there should be water, that's when, of course, the Lord comes in and and fouls their wheels and causes them to be confused. um, And they are in complete chaos and disarray. And of course, uh, they don't, even get the chance to flee seven different ways. They're probably spread more than seven different ways by the water rushing back in um, as they're as they're overwhelmed and destroyed. Um, but the same kind of thing happens in other places in Scripture. You see it in Judges with Gideon. Uh, and when Gideon finally gets his army whittled down to 300 to go up against the thousands uh, in the Midianite army, um, the Midianites are are completely caught off guard and are fleeing in seven different directions and basically killing themselves, you know, accidentally uh, because of the confusion that's caused. This is the kind of, of uh, ally that the Lord is to his people. 
Yeah, the, the account in, of Gideon in, in the book of Judges came to my mind. I think you could classify the victory in Jericho similarly. Absolutely. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. you know, these aren't all exactly like one direction, seven directions, but the, the idea behind them that there's this powerful, organized, well-trained enemy with an army that certainly is better than Israel's. When Israel comes up against them, Israel wins, not because of the military training of Israel, but because of the Lord, who is their general, and his his battle plans consistently in the Old Testament are never the ones that that you learn in military history. You know, like I mean, right. what you described in Jericho and and Midian with Gideon, none of these are like you're going to have the smallest army you can think of, just three hundred mm-hmm. with torches and glass jars. And that's going to win the battle? Well, when the Lord's on your side, yeah, that's right. Well, that's like against Jericho. They didn't have anything in Jericho but but trumpets, you know, and they're marching around the walls. And how silly must have that looked until the wall fell? Yeah, that's right. And yeah. then and then goes Jericho, mm-hmm. fleeing seven different yeah. directions where before they were a united front. The Lord proves this text true over and over again. And a while back, you were talking with Pastor Flammy. I actually happened to catch a portion of that episode. And I, I think I recall him talking about this very thing that... Israel was not ever nearly so well equipped with the high-tech weaponry of the time uh, as their enemies were. You know, they were not only inferior in numbers, but they were inferior in equipment. And yet they, they prevailed because the Lord was on their side, not because they themselves had any kind of battle prowess or what have you. Well, that's right. And that's worth a reminder here because this promise about having your enemies defeated is not attached to how well they train as a military. Mm-hmm. It's attached to their faithfulness to God's word. Right. That's uh, that's an important point again. Yeah, they're just like their provision comes not first from the land, but from the one who gave them the land. Also, their protection is not because they are so tough and so well-skilled as fighters, but because of the one who has promised to protect them. That's right. So in into verse 8 then, the Lord, uh, his blessing now goes into the barns. Mm-hmm. Take us into that verse. Yeah, the Lord will command the blessing on you in your barns and in all that you undertake, and he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And that goes right back to what I've been saying, that it's not the land that is giving them the blessing. The land is part of the blessing the Lord is giving to them, and it's the land, the land is the, the conduit through which the Lord is going to bless them in many ways. Um, you know, what are... What are barns? They're places where you store provision, the places where you store your food and so forth, um, uh, your, your livestock in some cases. Uh, so again, the, the fact that your, your barns are going to receive blessing means you're going to continue to be provided for. In verse 9, then, the Lord says that he will establish his people as a people holy to himself, just as he had sworn. What is the Lord telling his people there? He is putting his name on them. He is, he is making them his people. And, and of course, holy means being set apart for a specific purpose. I mean, obviously, the Lord, the Lord desires salvation for all of his creation. And we, 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 we learn that. We see that impact in the Old Testament. But we really see that, of course, revealed in Christ. Um, but, but we still see prophecy of that even in the old testament um but but for this people these these uh children of abraham uh israel the children of jacob they 
have a very special purpose because they are, you know, as uh, we're going to see here in a little bit, they're going to be priests to the nations in a sense. He doesn't reference that directly here, but he talks about that elsewhere. Um, uh, they have a very special purpose. And so he's going to protect them and keep them holy to himself for that purpose. And that involves giving them his name as we're going to unpack a little bit more as we continue forward. I want to, I want to look in my notes here though. Um, this, this holy people, uh, we, we hear this uh, echoed in the new Testament in uh, Peter's first letter in chapter two, you are a chosen race, a Royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And Peter is speaking this in a very similar context to Moses here, because he starts that chapter with put away all malice and deceit. And the end of that section in that chapter, you know, abstain from the passions of the flesh and which wage war against your soul. In other words, you know, don't, go away from, you know, keep listening to the voice of the Lord. He's basically saying the exact same thing Moses is saying here. You know, as, as we talk about the holiness of the of the people, maybe maybe one way to think about these words is similar to the way we pray in the first petition, hallowed be thy name, that you know, God's name is always holy, whether we pray for it or not, mm-hmm. but we ask him to make it holy among us. That's a good and, idea. And perhaps something here, a similar thought that can be helpful here. You know, the people here are invited by the Lord to pray for his holiness, right? So make us your holy people, Lord. Help us to, and, and as Luther explains in the Catechism, I think is very helpful. What, is it, what does that mean for God's name to be holy among us? Well, that we listen to his word and uh-huh. learn it in truth and purity, and that we live according to it. And that's pretty much what the Lord is giving to Israel right here. Yeah, if we would be holy, it is a, necess- it is a necessity that we are listening to his voice. And we listen to his voice through his word. Yeah, um, and then that that word has that effect of, of you know bringing us to, to begin to do it, which mm-hmm. is what what we're talking about here. That we would hold on to that word, that we would obey that word, walk as as Moses says in verse nine, keep his commandments, walk in his ways. This is the holiness that God gives, working itself out in our lives. And so, I mean, as Jesus teaches us to pray, we pray for that mm-hmm. holiness, and then God gives it through his word. Yeah, and Exodus 19 echoes this, yeah. uh, Exodus 19, 5 and 6. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, there's that voice again, and keep my covenant, which is essentially what Moses is emphasizing here, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. So again, that this is what it means to be made holy uh, to him, to himself, be made holy to himself. Um, For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. There's that word priests that, uh, that Peter references, and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And then, of course, he, this is, this is um, uh, Moses being given instruction uh, right before he gives them the law. This is right before he, this is just a chapter before he gives them the Ten Commandments. Um, and, then, and then Peter is echoing, you know, is referencing back to all of that, Deuteronomy, Exodus, etc., where God is, all of this, this, this word that, that God is giving them through Moses is all part of setting them apart for this special purpose. Yeah. So in, in verse 10, as Moses continues, we have similar 
a similar concept, I think, to like verse seven, where the Lord is going to defeat their enemies, and and here people are going to be afraid. But in verse ten, particularly, we get that language that you referenced earlier. People will see that you are called by the name of the Lord. This is this is a really important thing that the people have God's name upon them. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and God's name is His reputation, uh, and and that. That kind of fits with even even the pagan gods because you know one of the, one of the things that you see in any of the nations is your strength as a people is directly attributable to the strength and power of your god and and so when the nation of Israel is taunted uh, by their enemies it's usually because well like you can you can think back to Hezekiah when uh, Sennacherib has the Assyrian army surrounding Jerusalem. They've, they've already dealt with the northern kingdom. It's gone. And now they've, they've plundered a lot of Judah already, and they've surrounded Jerusalem. And Hezekiah freaks out, and he basically goes in and takes all of the good stuff from the temple, all the gold and the plunder, and he gives it to Sennacherib's army as tribute in hopes that they'll leave him alone. And, and how, do they, how do they respond? By taunting him. And saying, boy, you must not trust in your God at all if you would give us all of his good stuff from his temple. And it completely backfires on him. Uh, and in fact, uh, if I remember, I, I haven't read that portion uh, for a little while, so I'm trying to remember exactly how it works out. But eventually Hezekiah is granted some more time to live, but at one point he's going to die, partly as a result of, of disobeying and not listening to God's voice. Um, but anytime. Israel fails, and, and well, here's another example, a, a better example. When they're in the exile, um, Ezekiel 36 talks about, you, you, you hear a prophecy of God's plan to restore Israel back to Judah and Jerusalem. But the reason he's doing it is not because Israel deserves it, but because his name is being dragged through the mud in the, in the view of the nations, and he wants his name glorified in the nations. And so his, his, he, to restore his name among the nations, he's going to restore his people. Um, his people who have been made holy, he's attached his name to them such that their prosperity affects his reputation. Uh, and, and so that is, that is the basis in which he's going to restore them. And I often tie this to baptism, because baptism is God putting his name on us, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We, we are made his in Christ. And this is how strong baptism is a promise of salvation, is that God would not let us fall from his hand. God would not let us slip away from him because he's put his name on us. And to do anything other than save us would be to, to besmirch his own name. Right. So the, the fact that they are called by his name, there's a lot of promise that's within that. Right. That is certainly huge. As you mentioned, Ezekiel is an important spot. And into the New Testament, God's name being placed upon us in holy baptism. He marks us as his own. And then, of course, I mean, you know, yes, that, that means he's got his promise. And then why not live in that promise? Exactly. I mean, that's kind of the, that's where Moses is in Deuteronomy 28. Mm-hmm. Like, You've got God's name. Here are all the blessings that he's going to give you in his name. Why wouldn't you listen to his word? Why wouldn't you do what he says? This is kind of the, the rhetorical question that's there. 
we of course know how it plays out. We know how it plays out in our own lives too, but but the motivation that's there, I mean, what a, what a beautiful promise to hold on to that certainly the people of Israel needed and we still need to know that this is what God has done for us. Why would we live in any other way? Exactly. And that's kind of the question. And that's kind of what Paul does in all of his letters is you're Christians. Why, you know, you, you've got all these promises of God. Why would you not live in them? I and mean, that's, that's right. a good summary of the, the entire New Testament, you know, all the epistles. <laughs> that's, so That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah that, that's Paul, right? right. Here's, here's what God has done. Live in it. Why would you do anything else? Right. And Moses, similarly. Mm-hmm. In verse 11, then, we have more talk of prosperity, and again, just, just overabundance here as, as the Lord's going. Take Keep going in the text. Well, and, and you see more repetitiveness, and again, repetitiveness in Hebrew always means, hey, take notice. This is really important, and, and this is really going to happen. God is doubling down here. There, This is certain. This is, this is not something that God's going to change his mind on. The Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the fruit of your womb. There's more reference to the fruit of your womb, to the fruit of your livestock, the fruit of your ground. We've already covered that, but we're going to cover it again. Why? Because God is not going to relent from this promise. Um, Within the land that the Lord swore your fathers to give you. So this promised land, you know, in within the bounds of this promised land, the Lord is going to bless your socks off. I like it. That's great. I'm going to use that in a sermon mm-hmm. someday. He's going to bless your socks <laughs> off. That's right. That's fantastic. Yeah. So as as the text continues into to verse 12, we do get some some language that's a, a bit unique, although in the same vein, the matter of rain being a part of the, the blessing, and then the idea of lending to nations and not borrowing. What's what's going on in verse 12? Well, you know, speaking of rain and, and, and such, just, just having land uh, itself has a, an a- aspect of prosperity to it. If you have land, I mean, that's why property ownership even today is kind of an important thing in most people's minds. Uh, if you have land, you have protection, you have some sort of provision, uh, etc. Um, the rain, of course, is hugely important because if you don't have rain, you're not going to have crops no matter whether you have land or not. Um, so rain is a, is a really important provision. And, and, and it rain brings with it the prosperity because it allows things to grow in the land. Um, the blessing, the work of your hands. So, so the labor that you undertake in the land is going to, is going to be prosperous. Um, you, you references the Lord opening his good treasury, the heavens. Uh, that he, he ties that with the rain, of course, because that's where the rain comes from. Um, but then the lending to many nations, this is this I, I find really interesting um, because, well, for, first of all, if you're, if you're a lender, then, then you have wherewithal. You, you have, if, if you're able to lend to somebody else, it means you have plenty for yourself. So that, that means that you are in a place of wealth. So that there's a, there's a blessing aspect to this. But something interesting to think about with regard to this is if you go back to Deuteronomy 15, uh, when the sabbatical year is spoken of, uh, 15 specifically verse six, for the Lord, your God will bless you as he promised you. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow and you shall rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you. Uh, if a nation is in debt to you, you're in a sense ruling over that nation. Now, the interesting thing about the sabbatical year uh, in, in relation to, to, to this is uh, the sabbatical year is, is that, that seventh year when all debts are to be forgiven. Um, and the interesting thing about that is that the debts that are to be forgiven are 
only the debts that are owed to you from your fellow Israelites. Foreigners are exempt from that. You are still allowed to hold foreigners in debt. Um, and, and so there is there, the, the promise here, the prosperity promise here is the fact that you are going to be in a position where other nations are going to be owing to you, not the other way around. Just thinking through the the history of the people of Israel, some of the some of the the most difficult times for them come when they are in debt to another nation. Right. I'm thinking of the the times they have to pay tribute to mm-hmm. whichever foreign nation happens to be at power. You know, whether it's Assyria or Babylon or Egypt, occasionally, mm-hmm. it, it's never good <laughs> when when that happens. When they're the ones paying tribute, how much better it would have been if the things were reversed again. And and again, the question: Why why would you live in any other way? Mm-hmm. When this is the way God is prepared to bless mm-hmm. you, you, you see it throughout their history. And anytime they pay tribute to the other nations, it's always in defiance of trusting God. And it always yeah, it, they always shoot themselves in the foot. Uh, they, they, they never have never gotten out of anything paying tribute to another nation. That's right. That's right. We've got about six minutes here, Pastor Reese. Okay. Just so I want to make sure we get through. So sure, sure. give us what's left in verses 13 and 14. And then I know you want to bring it back to Christ. Yeah, yeah. 13, 13 uh, is, you know, we're kind of seeing the same promise being referred to in a different term. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. Um, in other words, you're going to always be first. Uh, you shall only go up and not down. If you look at the, uh, the way that language is used in the scriptures, up is always good and down is always bad. You went down to Egypt. You went up to Canaan. Uh, Egypt was a bad place back in, in the time of Genesis and, and so forth. Uh, it was a scary place. It was a dark place. Um, and so you were always going down to Egypt. You're always going up uh, to Canaan. Um, you're always going down to Sheol, for instance. You know, Sheol being a bad place. So there's that, that up and down contrast. Uh, And then again, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, being careful to do them, and then 14 continues, if you do not turn aside from any of the words that I command you today, to the right or the left, to go after other gods to serve them. So that framework is there. We we start precisely where we began with that that warning um, and and that blessing. And I was talking earlier about the eschatological, eschatological nature of of all of this um because what is the promise that we see um there in verse one that we kind of skimmed over at first uh the lord your god will set you high above all the nations of the earth who else is spoken of as one who is going to be set high above all the nations of the earth but christ and and this is the beauty of the eschatological promise, the end times promise that we have, the promise that comes along with the promise of resurrection at Christ's return. Um, it's referenced all over the place, but one of the places that is one of my favorite chapters in the whole New Testament to turn to is Ephesians 2, uh, verses 4 through 7. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And then here's the key, raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So you see that, that, that promise being fulfilled that the Lord will set you high above all the nations of the earth. 
it's being fulfilled in Christ. Um, because it's not being fulfilled by anything that we do. And of course, Ephesians that Ephesians 2, the whole chapter is all about the fact that it's by not by work, but by the grace of God in Christ uh, that you are saved. And, and, and because Christ is now seated uh, with God you know, in the heavenly places, we, we are also seated there with him. It's in that now and not yet, that we are seated with him there now, in the sense that you know, every time we go to the divine service, we are being fed the fruit of that in word and sacrament. Um, but the fullness of that is, is coming when, when uh, our resurrection happens. So on, if I can and try to summarize some of the things here, it, on the one hand, this a chapter like this calls upon us to listen to God's Word, to hold on to it, and to do it. I mean, that's, that's part of it. And to recognize that when mm-hmm. we do those things that God has given to do, things will go well. He will—I mean, and I, I use that very broadly, mm-hmm. that life tends to go better when we follow the commandments. And so a chapter like this should compel us toward hearing God's Word and obeying God's Word. At the same time, a chapter like this should compel us toward faith in Christ as the one who did these things perfectly, who is that one seated high above the nations, and by faith in him, this all becomes true of us in totality. Right now we have the the now and not yet, but as we await that day when Christ returns, all of these blessings will fully be ours because of Christ and his obedience to them. Is that a fair Fair summary. Absolutely, and and that's why we are always asked by by Moses, by Paul, by Peter, by Jesus, all to listen to the voice of God because He wants us to be comforted in this fallen world. the The Israelites got hungry and they started grumbling because they got hungry. And their first, you know, what they weren't just grumbling about being hungry, but they were grumbling in a way that expressed a lack of trust in God's provision. And and so when you know, God would have them comforted. God would have them listen to his voice. And, and so it's the same thing with us. All kinds of, of things beset us in this life that, that bring us misery. And we're tempted to believe that God doesn't love us or that God is not actually providing or protecting us, providing for or protecting us. That's why our pastors are there. And for that matter, any of our fellow Christians are there. And his word is there to point us back to Christ. Because when we were listening to his voice, when we are when we are looking upon Christ, the Christ crucified and resurrected for us, that is when we are going to be caused to, or we are going to be given comfort, uh, and and find trust in and hope in Him, uh, and and be able to endure the struggles of this world, knowing that they are going to come to a full end when Christ returns. Pastor Jeffrey Reese is pastor at Zion Evangelical Lutheran Church in Tacoma, Washington, helping us today with Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 to 14. Pastor Reese, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you. It was great. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Deuteronomy, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.